Hello, this is the Consciousness Podcast, and I'm your host, Stuart Preston. Each episode, I have a conversation with an expert in human consciousness. In this episode, I interviewed Dr. Deborah Diamond, a former Wall Street money manager, CNBC commentator, and host of a CNN radio program who left a high-profile job to pursue a life of spirituality and purpose. She is a graduate of the Holistic Studies Institute of New York, has completed mediumship training at the Arthur Finley College in the UK, and trained at the Carl Jung Institute in Zurich, Switzerland. She is a writer, artist, thinker, and psychic, and provides a unique perspective on human consciousness. We discussed the survival of consciousness, universal consciousness, and more. Please enjoy this episode with Dr. Deborah Diamond. I really appreciate you uh, joining me today to discuss this. It's uh, you're, you're a unique and different person, obviously, and unique and different to the type of people that I have been choosing to interview you know, here on the podcast. So if you would, please uh, just kind of introduce yourself and tell us what you're about, because I know you went from a very high profile, maybe even call it fast lane, kind of a life on Wall Street to pursue a life of purpose and spirituality. So maybe tell us a little bit about what the catalyst was for that change. Sure. Thank you, Stuart, uh, for having me here on the program. I'm a big fan, and I think you do wonderful My work, pleasure. so thank you. Um, thank you. So in terms you. of you're welcome. In terms of my background, you're correct. I uh, was a money manager on Wall Street for many years. I was also a commentator on CNBC and a professor at Johns Hopkins University. Um, that was my chosen work and profession to be in finance. And uh, the thing was, when I was in the investment business, I always knew things. I didn't know how I knew them, but you know, for instance, we would get a big stack of mail three times a day full of annual reports and prospectuses and research reports. And I would be able to pick up one of these reports and without reading them, I would know the contents. I would know if the company would be a good investment. I would know about the management team and the industry and the product. So I didn't know how I knew any of those things. And in the investment business, um, nobody really talks about, you know, the term psychic never comes up. Nobody's talking about right. consciousness. Um, you know, these are just not topics that are primary to the investment business. Um, so, I, and I was very busy. I didn't have time to think about it or philosophize. So, I just didn't really know what it was. Um, my boss used to say to me, you know, Deborah, you have really good instincts. So, I thought, okay, I guess that's the answer, good instincts. And that's about as far as I went. Um, it wasn't until 2007 when I took a intuition development class in New York, and I took it because I thought, well, I have pretty good intuition. It'd be fun to tune it up. Uh, that's when things started really happening and moving. Um, in the class, there, it was a weekend class. There were about 25 people. I didn't know any of them. And um, I live in Maryland. I drove up to New York to, uh, for the class for the weekend. And, um, you know, we were doing a number of exercises Saturday morning, and I was getting everything. Uh, I didn't know how that was possible, but they were very low-key exercises, so I didn't think too much about it. Um, we took a break, and when we came back, the teacher said, now we're going to do a seance. And, oh, by the way, the teacher is a Ph.D. from Columbia and teaches uh, Far Eastern religion at Hunter College and translates Sanskrit manuscripts. So she's not woo-woo. She well you know, as an right. academic. Uh, she just teaches uh, meditation and whatnot. But anyway, um, you know, when she said we were going to do a seance, you know, I was like, I, you know, that's not really what I want to do. And I, it frightened me. 
Um, but then I thought, well, it was still Saturday morning and the class went through Sunday afternoon. So I just do this next exercise and then we'd move on to something else. So the teacher said, you know, we're going to, I'm going to put you in a meditative state and then I'll take you out of the meditation. And if you see anything, you let me know and I'll tell you what to do. And I thought, well, that doesn't apply to me. I'm not going to see anything. So we meditated. She took us out of the meditation and uh, she said, does anyone see anything? And I looked around the room and everyone was looking at each other and I raised my hand and she said, yes, Deborah, what do you see? And I said, I see about 50 people. These were people who had passed, family members of mine, people who went with the other students in the room. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, she asked me if, uh, she said, you know, if you see someone in the corner of the room, that means they probably go with someone in that corner. So I said, well, I do see someone in the corner. And she asked me to describe them. And I said, he had dark hair, parted in the middle, handlebar mustache, big white teeth. And as I said that, the woman in the corner began to sob. And she said, I can identify him. That was my fiance. He died two years ago. So wow. uh, the, the woman in the corner said to me, if I show you pictures of him on my cell phone during the break, would you be able to identify him from the pictures? And I said, sure, because, I mean, I'd seen him so plainly. So during the break, she came over and she flipped through these pictures. And I said, there, that, that's him. She said, yes. Now, she had wanted to hear from him. She had been waiting two years to hear from him. She believed that she, you know, would have some contact from him. And she hadn't, so she was very disappointed. But now she was grateful because I had facilitated something for her that was very meaningful. So she gave me a big hug, and she thanked me. Now, I come from Wall Street. There are no hugs on Wall Street and no thank yous either. So, you know, it was a new experience, but I realized that I had done something significant for someone, even though I didn't really understand how it happened. Um, I continued in the class the rest of the weekend. All sorts of things were happening. I was very overwhelmed by everything. And uh, Sunday night, I drove back to Baltimore, and I called uh, one of my sons. I have three sons, but one is a very linear thinker, very logical. And um, he's at Duke right now getting his MBA. So that gives you the kind, you know, an idea of the way he kind of mm -hmm. thinks. So right. um, he, you know, I called him and I explained what happened and he listened to everything I said. He didn't, he didn't say, you know, none of it happened. But when I was done talking, he said, well, that makes sense. We're just energy and the energy has to go somewhere. So, mm. yeah. <laughs> so I was like, well, okay, if you put it in that context, I can sort of deal with this because now we're talking about something that's sort of pseudoscientific, you know, science and spirituality combined, and I could understand that. I still was overwhelmed, but it gave me a context to deal with. And I've actually used that explanation, you know, from that point forward in all of my work because it's true. I mean, and it's not he's not the only person to have said this. I mean, Einstein has said it and, you know, there's been many consciousness researchers who, who, you know, echoed the same thought. We are energy and everything is energy. So um, it explains all the work that I do. And um, I, I think it grounds it. And, you know, we're not talking about ghosts and uh, the paranormal and, you know, anything like that. I, look, I come from a left brain background. So, you know, I'm looking for a logical, you know, more kind of a realistic explanation. So anyway, that's what kind of started me on my work. I eventually 
um, began to do readings. It took me a while to accept what happened to me. It really did. But right. eventually I began to do readings. And um, in 2013, I was asked to read for a famous NDE or near-death experiencer um, who had been struck by lightning and came back with these unusual abilities and gifts. And um, I, I read for this person, and during the reading, I was being shown some very unusual symbols because psychics are shown things in symbols and readings. And um, mm. when I came home that evening, because uh, the reading was in Washington, D.C., when, when I came home, I started thinking about the reading, and I thought, you know, what happened to this person? Why does he have these abilities? What's he supposed to do with them? What do they mean? And do other NDEs get them, and why do they get them? So I Googled NDE after effects, and I found out there hadn't been any research done. So I said, well, I guess I'll have to do the research. Now, it's not that far-fetched because, remember, I was on Wall Street for many years. The first 10 years, I was a healthcare research analyst. So I hmm. you know, came out of that kind of background, a conventional background in research in healthcare. So, uh, so I... Uh, you know, that was my first uh, research into consciousness, um, and it was amazing. And, um, you know, the work that I did uh, in the NDE world has acted as a foundation for a lot of the other work that I do because some of the experience, many of the experiences that NDEers have are applicable to all, all sorts of other experiences all of us have, you know, with consciousness. And that would include um, the work you, the time you spent in hospice as a, as a death doula. Exactly. So, I, you know, I'm also a death doula. Not everybody knows what a death doula is. So, um, are you, are you the only death doula or is this something that other people also do? Oh, no, there are lots of death doulas. So death doulas, okay. um, sit, uh, in my case, sit bedside with the actively dying at hospice. And, you know, the idea of sitting vigil with someone when they're near death is not a new concept. I mean, that's been going on for thousands of years. But the institutionalization right. of the process um, of being a death doula is something fairly recent. It's only been in the last maybe 10 years or so that that's developed. And now there are actually training programs for death doulas. And I noticed, you know, when my book came out, Diary of a Death Doula, it just came out, um, you know, I've heard from many people who, who have said, you know, this is something that I want to do. They're looking for something meaningful to do with their lives. And um, this is work that I think is compelling and, you know, it seems to be very interesting to people. So there are training programs. There are all kinds of death doulas. Some of them get involved in legacy projects and wills. Some get involved in funeral arrangements. Some work with the families. Um, I sit bedside with the actively dying. And um, the reason I was interested in doing that was because I am a psychic and a medium. And I'll just say not everybody knows the difference between a psychic and a medium, but all um, mediums are psychics. Not all psychics are mediums. Psychics retrieve information from the universe about things that affect all of us in our day-to-day -day lives. So it could be jobs, it could mm. be money, you know, relationships, health. Um, mediums connect with those who've passed over. So they're two different things. Um, so, you know, I'm a medium. I connect with those who've, who've passed over. And um, I knew that I could sit bedside with the actively dying because I communicate with, with you know, folks who've passed. So it didn't scare me. Right. And um, 
so that's that's uh, a little bit about how it came about. Actually, though, um, uh, it really started in 2001. Uh, my mother passed away in 2001, and we had hospice come to help us uh, when she was ill. Mm. And uh, she, um, hospice, you know, one point one of the hospice professionals handed me a piece of paper and said, you know, you might want to read this. And I thought, well, maybe it has to do with medication or even funeral arrangements. And um, I set it aside. But when I eventually picked it up and read it, it said, if the body's ready and the soul isn't, you don't die. And if the soul is ready and the body isn't, you don't die. When the soul is ready and the body's ready, then you die. So, you know, that was something very striking to me. Um, it was more than I expected from hospice. And um, it's not a new concept. I mean, it's been explored, you know, by the ancient Greeks. It's been explored by Descartes, you know, in, in the 1500s. It's called dualism, the idea that uh, we're not just our body and we're not just our soul, that we're both. Um, but right. I, uh, you know, was very... Uh, interested in, in that and I thought about it and I actually thought about it for a long time and knew that I wanted to do something related to hospice um, and it wasn't until about 2015 or so that I began to do this work um, so it just kind of naturally evolved right and in your work as a as a death doula and by the way I'll put a link to the book on the uh, on the blog, so that people can get to that, um, also to your website. Mm -hmm. But the uh, as your work as a death doula and 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 researching these extraordinary outcomes from near death experiences NDEs, what kind of insight did that give you into what consciousness is? Well, you know, as you know, consciousness is extremely complicated it's you know science can't really yeah. define it um we don't really have you know we don't have a way to define it because it's a completely different world it's a world that we don't exist in and we don't have terminology to uh, explain it um to you know or any tools really to define it so i think people are sort of grappling with you know understanding what it is and it's been something mankind has grappled with forever um, in terms of my work um, I have been privy to uh, seeing you know a number of um, very interesting and extraordinary things that have helped me to put some building blocks and some pieces in place and you know you don't have to believe this and you know maybe for some of your listeners if I was sitting in there seat listening to this i might not believe some of it but you know i'll just tell you what i've experienced um right as a uh, near-death experience um researcher uh first of all i have to say i have spoken to thousands of near-death experiencers at this po point and um interviewed uh just so so many i can't i can't count but um and read for you know done readings for probably thousands at this point. Um, and after a while, you start to see certain patterns in all of them. Um, so, you know, with near-death experiencers, and it was something that I noticed as well with the dying at end of life, um, they both travel 
you know, uh, outside their bodies. In the case of near-death experiencers, um, you know, many people have heard these accounts about the NDEers being out of body and seeing a fantastic landscape or going through a tunnel or having a life review right. or revisiting a favorite memory. Um, and um, at end of life, people also travel. They're out of their body a good deal of the time. And they also travel to similar places. Their journeying is um, more extended because the end of life process is more extended. You know, NDEs take place in seconds or minutes of earth time, whereas, you know, in a natural uh, death at end of life, they could be, it's a process, it takes a long time. So there could be quite a bit of journeying and transitioning going on. But the same thing happens. They're out of body and they're, they may be visiting, revisiting favorite memories from their past. They may see loved ones who've passed. They may be visiting their new home on the other side. And um, while they're doing that, they're out of their body. Their consciousness is open. And that's what allows them to, to do this. Um, this has nothing to do with their physical body. This is just with their consciousness. And then they return right. to their physical body. Um, now, uh, in both cases, with NDEers and with the actively dying, it, it appears as if whenever they do this journeying, their consciousness gets enhanced a little bit each time. So it's almost like, I, I don't have like a, a, a real scientific way of explaining it, except just, and this is not scientific, but you know, it's almost like our consciousness goes to the universal consciousness gas station gets tanked up every time you know they leave their body and it comes back you hmm. know full each time so um and at end of life it appears that you know they do a lot of this traveling and journeying so every time they go they're getting a little bit more tanked up um at the same time that their physical body is declining until at end of life when their consciousness is fully blossomed and their physical body is of no no longer of any use now I'm not the only one who has noticed this. Um, I've given a lot of talks about my book, Diary of a Death Doula, and also uh, my, my book, Life After Near Death, about near-death experiences. And I've had doulas in the audiences, you know, when I've, when I've given this talk. And when I mention this, they all start nodding their heads, <laughs> you know, because I sit with, with um, patients who are actively dying at end of life, and they're not um, responsive, so they're not talking. But because I'm a right. medium and a, because I'm a medium, I can see what's happening with them in the uh, invisible world. Whereas uh, oftentimes the doulas in the audience are sitting with patients who are on the front end of the process. But they also know that the patient is traveling because the patient is talking to them. You know, the patient may, you know, talk to them after they've right. journeyed and say, you know, I saw my grandma or I, I saw, you know, my childhood home. So, so they know the patient is traveling. And as soon as I mention that their consciousness is blooming, you know, everybody starts nodding their head. So um, I also had dinner a few months ago with a friend of mine who's a hospice chaplain in New Mexico. And she asked me, uh, you know, for a couple of the key points from the book. And I mentioned this and she said to me, you know, that makes sense because she said, I, now she sees patients from the time that they, they first enter hospice until the time they pass. And so she's having conversations with these people all along. And she said, you know, I talk to the patients and I know that they travel. And she said, you know, and I know every time they journey and they come back, they're a little bit different. 
So she was completely on board with this. So, you know, it's all anecdotal. You know, this is the kind of stuff that science hates because, you know, they want demonstrable proof. And in consciousness, um, consciousness doesn't lend itself to the scientific realm because they want reproducible uh, evidence. It has to be the same every time. And it's not going to be the same every time when somebody's journeying at end of life, they're not necessarily, they may be the first time they go visit their boyhood home. And the second time they're back in college. I mean, and you can't tell them, you know, if you, it, by the way, if you're journeying, could you go back to your first place? I mean, this is their consciousness is its own living thing and it's right. doing its own thing. So it doesn't lend itself to the scientific realm. I, I don't think we have a philosophy or science to really understand it. I mean, there's the paranormal, parapsychological realm, but we don't really have the tools yet. You know, it's, we have a little bit of this and a little bit of that. But um, right. the, uh, you know, all of this supports this idea that we are more than our body and we are more than our mind. You know, we're both. And um, that our mind is separate from our body. So now in, uh, in Western thought, um, we believe that uh, death is the end. You know, people go to hospice or the hospital and they see a loved one lying in the bed and it looks like there's nobody home and they get scared. And um, because they can't see what's going on in the invisible world. But there's more to us than just the physical body. You know, but that's what most people see right. in life. And, you know, really 150 years, this is all fairly new, by the way. Up until 150 years ago, um, death was part of life. And, you know, if you go back to ancient cultures, you go back to the Egyptians, the oldest known uh, culture on earth, 5,000 years old, Mesopotamians, the Mayans, the Incas, all of them considered death to be part of life. And, you know, you went on. You were still part of right. the world. In the Inca culture, they used to, when, when someone died, they would wrap them up, put them in a chair, and carry them around with them. They'd take them to parties. They would ask them for advice. You know, they are part of their lives. To, right. Now, in the last 150 years since Western medicine has become prevalent, um, people are shuttled off to antiseptic settings to the hospital, to hospice. Right. We've taken the soul out of death. It's become purely a medical phenomenon. Um, this is starting to change a little bit now, but I think that's what scares people. You know, it's, we've taken the soul away from it. And, um, uh, you know, the soul is a huge part of it, but um, Western medicine doesn't address that. You know, when you go to medical right. school, you don't study the soul. You study physiology. Right. Yeah, that makes, that makes a good point. When you say, so when somebody's in hospice and they're lying there going through this end-of-life experience, their, their consciousness, their soul leaves, gases up a little bit, comes back, leaves, gases up a little bit, comes back. Is that, is that correct? And if that is correct, um, I saw in your book you said something along the lines of right now a normal, regular person like me is um, 99% physical and 1% uh, consciousness or soul. Mm -hmm. And then when they go, they go and they get gassed up, they come back and maybe they're 95% physical and 5% consciousness. Obviously the physical part didn't deteriorate. They've added consciousness in. Um, if that's going on, are you able then to use your 
skills, your, your psychic and mediumship skills to communicate and connect with somebody that maybe has developed a little bit of an expanded consciousness as a result of this process? Um, you mean if I'm sitting bedside with the dying? Or? Yeah, or, or maybe, maybe it doesn't even have to be a physical closeness to them, but somebody who has more consciousness as a result of, of this, or like NDEs also. Oh, so it doesn't yeah, have to yeah. be somebody who's dying. Right. NDEs come back and they've got more consciousness than the rest of us. Right. Does that give you any kind of a special connection to them? Um, yes. Uh, so that's, that happens very frequently. So I have people who come to me for readings, and um, one of the first things I often see is if they've had some sort of extraordinary experience. I'm able to see that. So because they, the way they present to me is different than someone who's, who's not had that experience. I see certain things about their uh, metaphysical body that, that are different. So, um, you know, I will then ask them, you know, that's the first question. If I see, if I see this, I ask, you know, did you have a spiritually transformative experience or an NDE, sometimes they don't know, especially with spiritually transformative mm. experiences. With NDE, sometimes, you know, they'll say, I drowned or I had a heart attack. Uh, spiritually transformative experiences are a little bit different because uh, they um, uh, include trauma, but not necessarily physical trauma. So it could be something that's highly traumatic that happened in their life, like sitting bedside with someone who was dying that could that could cause right. a shift in your consciousness it could be um a divorce you know that could that could be very traumatic it could be the death you know death of a child um it could be um serious illness so those kinds of life events that are really challenging can cause a shift mm -hmm. and people mm -hmm. don't know that those shifts are called STE spiritually transformative experiences but they do produce a shift in your consciousness so um i'm able to see that and connect with that part of them and uh in many cases explain mm -hmm. you know what's happened to them i don't know anyone else who does this i mean i'm not i'm not patting myself on the back it just so happens i do this because you know, it started with doing the research into NDEs and reading for NDEers, and now it's something that just, you know, I do. But um, uh, so I've I've seen all I've seen you know lots of people who've had these experiences, and they're they're the same um, in a, in that respect in terms of their consciousness is enhanced, and that's one of the thing about things about NDEers. They all come back with their consciousness enhanced. Um, same thing with STEers. And people who hear about this, who have not had one of these experiences, always say, geez, that's so neat. I'd love to have an NDE. And I always tell them, this is not something that you want. It makes life very right. unhealthy um, because we're not, we're living on earth, you know, and it sounds like a very cool thing to have your consciousness enhanced. And somebody out in the universe had this idea, somebody or something, somehow it happened, um, for some of us to be walking around with enhanced consciousness. But the fact of the matter is we live on earth and we have to be able to function here. And that includes having jobs and having families and having relationships and, you know, dealing with money and things like that. People who have this enhanced consciousness have a great deal of difficulty in all those respects. 
Um, 65 to 75% of NDEers get divorced. Most of them quit their jobs. Um, they don't care about money. Um, they you know, often feel that they have a mission to fulfill. They don't always know what that mission is. I mean, it really complicates yeah. their life. So, you know, having all that consciousness is a cool thing. And I guess if you were living in a vacuum someplace in an ashram or something, it might be a great thing. But for most people, they struggle with it because they've got one foot in the universe and one foot on earth. Yeah, and you hear about the struggle in coming back to their bodies. A lot of times like, no, I don't want to go back. I don't want to go back. And so yeah. when they do end up here, you're saying they, they bring a little bit of that struggle with them. Yeah, well, it, it's not, it's, you know, yeah, I guess that's a way of putting it. Um, they don't want to come back because it's so beautiful and so wonderful. We don't have the words for it. It's, they say it's ineffable. And um, they don't want to leave because they've never experienced that before. But they're sent back, and I believe they're sent back because they have work to do, and they're supposed to bring this heightened consciousness to the earth and act as beacons of light from the universe. Hmm. Um, sounds great, right? But, like, they don't really know after they've come back, like, now what? Now what am I supposed to do? So, you know, a lot of the NDEers right. I read for are like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I know I'm supposed to do something. So um, another day at the law firm just doesn't do it for them, you know, or another day in the factory right. doesn't do it. So, um but, and that's because of this enhanced consciousness, you know, now, now you've got something else going on with you that's tugging at you and um, revealing things that a normal person wouldn't have privy to. And it's just, it's really complicated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Now you mentioned that when the body dies, you say that the ego dissolves and our consciousness emerges and, and carries on in an expansive environment. You know, this is a quote, not dependent on the physical body. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering, I'm wondering what all that means. What does it mean when you say like the ego, when the ego dissolves, what is, how is that dissolving? And when consciousness emerges, what's going on with that emergence? Well, so I'll take the second part first. So the emergence of the consciousness okay. is something that's part of that. Pro- it appears to be part of that process at end of life, you know, uh, we just keep incrementally adding to our consciousness until the moment that we actually are at physical terminal death. And then, you know, we have full-blown consciousness. Um, it's the same thing NDEers talk about, you know, about this, you know, they, they always say to me, why did, like, you know, why did everything seem more real when I had my NDE? Well, because you now have like full-blown consciousness, which is real, you know, realer than, you know, more real than anything we experience on earth. So, the same thing happens at end of life. You know, the consciousness is now full-blown. You know, it's, it's been like a balloon that's been inflated all the way. And um, uh, the, um, our personality, our essence, or our soul, however you want to describe it, what makes us us continues. That's, that's, that's what continues. That's our energy, and that continues. But um, the earthbound kinds of feelings and um, motivations and whatnot seem to drop off. And um, that's, you know, the, the ego part. Um, those on the other side don't appear to have any ego. They just want to do good. They have this heightened consciousness. They're, they're, they're pure. They are 
they have this pure form of energy that we call love, I believe. So um, that's what they reflect. And all these other kinds of earthbound feelings and emotions, anger, frustration, um, jealousy, you know, rage, things like that, they don't exist on the other side. So when I read for people, um, you know, sometimes I'll say, oh, I have your father here, you know, your father who passed. And the, the sitter will say, I don't want to talk to him. He was mad at me. And I say, well, you know, I think it's okay. And then the, the father will come in and I'll give you an example. One time I was reading for someone. She said, I don't want to talk to my father. He's mad at me. And then the father came in to the reading and he said, oh, those were earth problems. So, you know, I think that pretty much sums it up. They're not thinking of any of those things. And there's no attachment right. to earth or to any of those, you know, any of those things that would bother people here on earth. So, uh, on the other side, they just are the highest form of uh, vibration and energy and consciousness. And, um, you know, I think that's why NDEers say, I never felt so good. I've never, you know, had this kind of experience. I've, it's it's um, just something we're not capable of on, on earth. You know, we're not capable of reaching right. that, that level. Yeah. You mentioned when you say level. You mentioned other realms and, and frequencies um, that you have access to, access to as a medium. Is that is it something there's like different realms or levels that consciousness is going from? So mostly attached to this body and then into a new realm or plane, and it, it keeps moving from one to another until it hits kind of that universal consciousness. Is that am I getting that right? Well, we don't really know. I mean, I know that there are different different i don't know about the word levels i don't i don't know if we have a word for it really but um there are different areas in consciousness look you know consciousness exists in the universe and the universe is vast and infinite and we don't understand it but you know it appears as if um when people die on earth um it, it appears as if they initially go to a certain place to sort of maybe like a lower level of consciousness to sort of get adjusted and, and eventually they move on from there. Whether these are like real levels, like we think about it, like, you know, levels in your house or levels in a department store or something, um, you know, I, I don't know because I am shown things as symbols. So, you know, these are symbols that I've, I've been given. Um, I know there are people out there, uh, other authors and whatnot, who, you know, insist that there's so many different, you know, seven different levels of consciousness or 25 different levels of consciousness. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how many levels there are. Um, I don't know how you could say it because consciousness is not, I, I'm not sure it's really structured. You know, it's not material like, like the earth, you know, it's not 3d and um, it's not something you can just count like that. So um I think we have to do the best we can to um, describe it, uh, you know, according to the means that we have, but I'm not sure it really lends itself to that all that well, you know, so, um, right. yeah. And do you, so, but you do think that there is a, a universal consciousness out there and there that's, that's where our, our consciousness expands into that. There, there appears to be, some form of universal consciousness that, you know, or collective consciousness that we inhabit after we 
passed from the from Earth from the material world. And the reason I say this is because whenever I do a reading and connect with someone who's passed, they seem to be part of some kind of collective consciousness because they often show me, oh, I'm with my grandmother. And it's sort of like their grandmother could be, they could be existing in some space that is, you know, according to our calculations, very, very far away, but able to, their essence is able to be right next to them in a second. And, um, The same thing with people who've passed and their connection with those on earth. You know, um, we don't know where people go physically where, when they pass, but in a, in a mediumship reading, um, they can instantly appear. <laughs> you know, they're just right there. Right. You know, so I just have to make the connection and here they are. So, um, hmm. so there's, there seems to be some gigantic entity or space in which everybody, you know, goes, but because consciousness doesn't take up any space, it's not material, it doesn't have any weight, you know, it can hold an unlimited amount of individual consciousnesses. Yeah. That makes sense. It's, it's really yeah. like it hurts my brain to try to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> do, you think, do you think that that, that, that consciousness existed be- also before the physical life like it did after? You know, does, that, does that mean something special for our time here in this physical realm? I'm not the right person to ask about that. You know, people often ask me about reincarnation and about, you know, past lives and about, you know, if we existed before we got here. I am not uh, the person to ask for that about that. I mean, my work is really focused on a couple discrete areas and reincarnation and life before life and all that. It, those are different areas that require more work and I just that's not something I focus on so I, I don't have an informed opinion okay that makes sense what about do you, do you happen to have an opinion on altered states of consciousness things like dreams psychedelic experiences um, other what people call altered states you know what if you look at those study those do you have any thoughts on, yeah. on those and what those yeah. might mean in terms of consciousness yeah, well, so um, let's take the dreams first. So I I am yeah. not, uh, you know, I know just like this tiny amount about dreams, but many people come to me and say, I had a dream last night and I saw my mother, my grandfather, whoever, my husband. Um, those are not dreams. Those are called visitations. That's when someone on the other side um, wants to come through and, give a message to their loved one that they're okay, that they're here and that they love them. And it's very intentional. They can't stay for very long, but it's very intentional. And the reason they come in when someone is sleeping and they, the person thinks it's a dream is because you have to be relaxed to have these experiences. So it's not going to happen when you're at work or when you're driving around in your car. But um, a lot of people have them when they're asleep because that's when the door is open and you're relaxed. So that's very common, and there, uh, people always describe these experiences as being very vivid. Um, it could have happened 20 years ago, but it feels like it happened 10 seconds ago because it's, the energy is unmistakable. It's the energy of your loved one. Um, sometimes the loved one physically will materialize. Sometimes people um, hear the loved one speaking to them. Sometimes they feel them. But... Um, those are all doorways, you know, to consciousness. And 
the uh, those who have um, who are on the other side use them if they can. Um, in terms of uh, what was the other part of the question? Uh, oh, psychedelics. So psychedelics. Yeah. So I actually, uh, you know, Johns Hopkins University has a study that's been going on. It's getting a lot of attention about psilocybin uh, mushrooms and um, using right. them, uh, you know, they, in consciousness experiments. And, um, and it, from what I know of their work, it, it seems to me that the people who are having these experiences at Hopkins, you know, under research uh, right. circumstances, um, they're having very similar experiences to NDEers. So, you know, that just tells me, you know, we're all working with consciousness here. Everybody's kind of got their own thing, but we're all kind of ending up in the same place and with the same, with people here on earth having the same experiences. So, you know, you could call some people, you know, everybody sort of brands, you know, one, one thing I noticed is, uh, you know, since I've been doing this work, you have a lot of people out there doing this work and everybody sort of brands it as their own. Um, I don't think you can brand energy. I don't think you can brand consciousness. Um, I don't think this work can be branded. I think we're all doing the same work. We're dealing with energy or consciousness or whatever you want to call it. And um, if you do, if you see enough cases, you start to realize that it's all the same. You know, everybody's having the same experiences. So for right. some reason, you know, psilocybin is um, producing these experiences in our consciousness. So, and they're very similar to NDEs. So um, that's, you know, really all I could say about uh, hallucinogen, you know, psychotropics and hallucinogenics. But um, I think, you know, we're all kind of working in the same field, you know, but from different right. backgrounds. I mean, the, the guys who are doing the work at Hopkins are coming at it from a, you know, more scientific. I mean, that's their training is science. Um, and I think it's the results are so astounding to them because, you know, they're scientists and uh, how do they fit these results into the scientific framework? Whereas, you know, people like me, I don't, I don't come from a scientific background. I come from left brain, but um, not pure science. So I'm open, you know, I, I'm open right. to and, um, you know, so for me, I find it fascinating. And after seeing thousands of the same things over and over again, you know, you start to see patterns. But, um, right. you know, you have uh, parapsychologists who come at it from their point of view. You ha I mean, and, and especially with there's a huge shift going on right now that's affecting all of mankind. And uh, people are having these spiritually transformative experiences um, and most people don't talk about them because they don't want to be ostracized or embarrassed, but, um, right. uh, there's, you know, more and more of this happening and a lot of people are then taking those experiences and saying, you know, I, I want to do something, I want to be a psychic or I want to open up a yoga practice or I want to open up a Reiki practice or whatever. So, um, these are all different manifestations of the same phenomena. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, before I get to just a couple um, wrap-up questions here as we get to the end, um, I was wondering, I guess I had two more questions that popped up while you were saying that. I think it would be interesting, unless I'm misunderstanding something, 
I think it'd be interesting if you were to sit with somebody who was dreaming or having a psychedelic experience or some other altered state of consciousness. I wonder if there would be like when you sit with somebody in hospice and you can see what's going on with them. I wonder if you sat with somebody in a dream state or other state of consciousness, if you would have some kind of insight or access to what's going on with their consciousness. I should be able to. I mean, because I am, I can see this invisible world. That's kind of, you know, I yeah. can see it. so it doesn't matter if, um, you know, it's end of life or they're dreaming. I mean, I've never done it with someone who's dreaming because I wouldn't know if, I mean, nobody's ever called me to their house at night to watch them dream, <laughs> you know, yeah. but, but, um, yeah. you know, there are sleep labs, you know, you it might, you might be able to do something right. there. Um, and, uh, you know, in terms of these uh, programs, the psychedelic programs, I mean, I, I am kind of interested, uh, you know, in working with them because um, yeah. there's so much, we, we have so much in common, you know, I come at it from mm -hmm. a slightly different angle than they do, but it's kind of, all, you know, the same bucket. So, um, yeah, I mean, it would probably reinforce the um, results that they're getting because their, their patients are coming back and recording their experience, you know, telling their experiences. So if I could say, you know, this is what happened to the patient and that's what happened to the patient. And then the patient comes back and says, this is what's, this is what happened. And it, it confirms, you know, what I saw. I mean, that's a good thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that would be really interesting. I'd be fascinated to see something like that. Yeah, so. So um, I know you've got this amazing book that's out there, and everybody should go buy it. What what else do you have coming? What's new for you? What What's in your future that you're going to be exploring or, or talking about or, or sharing with us? Yeah, thank you. So, yeah, my book, Diary of a Death Doula, 25 Lessons the Dying Teach Us About the Afterlife, uh, just came out a few months ago, and there's been a lot of interest in it. Um, as I said, a lot of people are now um, contacting me about becoming death doulas, and many people are contacting me to tell tell me that the book has provided a lot of comfort for them or reinforced ideas that they had. Uh, my my earlier book, Life After Near Death, Miraculous Stories of Healing and Transformation in the Extraordinary Lives of People with Newfound Powers, explores near-death experiences uh, near-death experience after effects. So, uh, sorry. Uh, so, um, uh, both of those focus on, on consciousness. Um, and that's really kind of my, my space. Um, I am mm -hmm. considering a, a new book right now that would have, uh, would focus on intuition. Um, I do teach classes on intuition development and intuition is just uh, sort of a lower form of psychic ability. Um, uh, people seem very interested in how they develop their intuition and I, and I believe that there's a role for intuition in the business world. Um, it hasn't been uh, yeah. talked about so much, but I think it's important. And uh, so that's, that's kind of what I'm uh, exploring right now. Okay. Awesome. I can't wait to see what you got coming out on that. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah. So re really good information. I know, like you said, it's a little different than uh, most of my, most of my guests, but I, I'm a lot of it's very fascinating. It does provide good insight into how consciousness, you know, may work and may operate. So I'm really grateful to you, Deborah, for spending some time to, to talk to us about these subjects. Thank you. It's been my pleasure, Stuart. That concludes another edition of the Consciousness Podcast. 
Thanks again for listening. Please find us at Facebook at facebook.com slash the consciousness podcast at our Twitter handle at conchcast. And don't forget to subscribe to our feed at theconsciousnesspodcast.com. Thank you for listening.